What's up, everybody? My name is Athena, and you're here to listen to Vanished in the Valley. So today, I'm going to tell you guys about the media corruption, the lack of true journalists, like investigative journalists, and why it's kind of like that nowadays. And unfortunately, it's not something that had just started happening nowadays. There are reports that the CIA had journalists as assets as far back as the 1950s. So let me just start with something I've told you guys about before. But here we go again. There are six companies that own 90% of the media in the United States. Those companies are AT&T, Comcast, the Walt Disney Company, National Amusements, News Corp, and Fox. Fox Corporation. So yes, Fox is just as bought up as the rest of them. And as of last year, the whole Build Back Better bill had a little provision in there so the federal government would be paying half of journalists' salary across the country. So we literally have journalists that are being paid by our government. And do people expect these journalists to, I don't know, be fair about what they're reporting about? Be honest about what they're reporting about? I know I don't. They all seem to be bought off in one way or another. So we are going to call out some of those journalists today. And I'm going to kind of bring you back in time and give you the history of these journalists that have been used by the CIA as assets all the way up till today because it's still happening. So sit back and get ready for this. So now we're going to go back to 1977. There was a story in Rolling Stone that specifically looked at the relationship of the CIA and the press during the Cold War. Carl Bernstein had spent six months digging into this exact topic. So right now, I'm going to give you some information that he found during his time researching the CIA and journalists. To start off, we have to get rid of that stereotypical image you have in your brain of a spy. Because it's not like a lot of us think. Carl Bernstein found that journalists were used by the CIA to primarily recruit foreign nationals who then would do the spying for them. So the CIA started forging relationships with some of the most well-known journalists in the United States. Bernstein explained that journalists were often in a position where they could meet foreign nationals and it wouldn't look too alarming. And the CIA, never one to give up a golden opportunity, seized that moment and took as many journalists' assets as they could. David Atlee Phillips, former Western Hemisphere chief of clandestine services and a former journalist himself, estimated in one interview that at least 200 journalists signed up with the CIA to be their little spies. Phillips was recruited by the CIA in 1950 because he owned a small English-language newspaper in Santiago, Chile. He kind of uh, described their approach in this one interview. He said, somebody from the agency says, I want you to help me. I know you're a true blue American but I want you to sign a piece of paper before I tell you what it's about. He says he never hesitated to sign up and said most other journalists were exactly the same. So he went on to have a 20-year career in the CIA. 
One CIA official said, one of the things we always had going for us in terms of enticing reporters was that we can make them look better with their home offices. A foreign correspondent with ties to the company, quote unquote CIA, stood a much better chance than his competitors of getting good stories. And check this out. So apparently a lot of these journalist operatives had a lot in common with other CIA officials high-ranking CIA officials. Many had gone to the same schools, moved in the same circles, kind of liberal, anti-communist, and just part of the quote-unquote good old boy network. Shocking, I know. Western Europe seemed to be kind of a hot spot for these journalist operatives, so they would be used as intermediaries to spot, pay, passing instructions to the Social Democrats in Germany which covertly received millions of dollars from the CIA. One CIA official said, we had journalists all over Berlin and Vienna just to keep track of who the hell was coming in from the East and what they were up to. Another example of a journalist operative is Joseph Alsop, who in 1953, at the request of the CIA, went to the Philippines to cover an election. Alsop is one of more than 400 American journalists who, in the past 25 years, have secretly carried out assignments for the CIA. And this is according to documents on file at the CIA headquarters. This is not even in la-la crazy conspiracy land. There is black and white papers, and you can read all about it if you go to the CIA vault. Bernstein says that journalists provided a full range of clandestine services, from simple intelligence gathering to serving as go-betweens with spies in communist countries. Reporters would basically just share their notebook with the CIA. Editors shared their staffs. Some of the journalists were literally Pulitzer Prize winners, distinguished reporters who considered themselves ambassadors without portfolio for their own country. Most were less exalted. Foreign correspondents who found that their association with the agency helped their work. And kind of on the flip side of this was there were full-time CIA agents masquerading as reporters in communist countries or in countries that it was hard to get diplomatic ties with. So it kind of went both ways. And the publishers, the people who owned these media organizations, they did this with their full cooperation for love of country or whatever. Maybe they're fucking bored, but it's been going on for decades, you guys. And since the Cold War era of CIA journalist operatives, I personally think it's gotten worse. I think the government is directly working with the owners of the media to get stories they like out there, to get certain stories not printed, and to get outright lies pushed out to the American people. Because so far, I have just told you about journalist operatives working in other countries and not specifically targeting Americans. But don't think that doesn't happen. Don't think that's not where I'm about to go. I'm going to tell you guys about some stories that have happened as recently as 2010, where journalists were paid to lie and put out propaganda to the American people. Amber Leone, who is a three-time Emmy Award-winning journalist, says CNN is routinely paid by the U.S. government and foreign governments to selectively report on certain events and make up fake news stories. No shit, I'm about to take you into the fake news network CNN. 
Leon says that back in March of 2011, CNN sent a four-person team to Bayron to cover the Arab Spring. She says once they got there, the crew was the subject of extreme intimidation amongst other things, but they were able to record some fantastic footage. In the segment, Leon interviewed an activist as they explicitly described their torture at the hands of the government forces, while family members recounted their relatives' abrupt disappearances. She spoke with government officials justifying the imprisonment of these activists. The segment featured video footage of regime forces shooting unarmed demonstrators along with mass arrests of peaceful protesters. So early 2011, CNN segment on Bayran presented one of the starkest reports to date of the brutal repression embraced by the U.S.-backed regime. So despite all the dangers these journalists went through, despite all of their great footage and the reporting, CNN decided to never broadcast the documentary, like ever, even in the face of numerous inquiries and complaints from their own employees, people inside CNN. It continued to refuse to broadcast the program or even provide an explanation for the decision. And like I said, to date, this documentary has never, ever aired on CNN. So having just returned from Bayran, Leon says she saw firsthand these regime claims were lies, and I couldn't believe CNN was making me put what I knew to be government lies into my reporting. Now, you can go to News Punch, search CNN Journalist, Governments Pay Us to Fake News, Shocking Expose, and this is a story from 2016, and you can see the footage that Leon got when they went to Bayron, the footage that CNN was censoring because the government was paying them to not show the footage. Leon says she did challenge CNN, and CNN told her to be quiet, and they started to view her as a risk. They knew she knew too much. So she may have defected from CNN, but since that time, she has now been bought up by Alexander Soros, who is the son of billionaire financier George Soros. She also has Wyatt Rockefeller, who is the grandson of Lawrence Rockefeller, backing her. So it looks like she tried to get out. She tried to let people know what was going on, but it's like the character of the stick. It's like, come on here, you can have everything you've ever wanted, or we'll probably fucking suicide you. So that's kind of what I'm thinking happened to her after that. Because if you go check out her website now, it has nothing to do with censorship. It has nothing to do with how fucked up the media is. It has to do with fucking psychedelics and do drugs and your mind will be better, which I'm not saying is wrong, but... Her crusade to get the word out to the world that the media is bought off totally stopped once she got bought off by the Soros and Rockefellers. Totally shocking. I know. And, you know, I kind of get it. I mean, who the fuck wants to be suicided for trying to tell the truth when if you just shut your fucking mouth, you can have everything you ever wanted. And I think that is what happens to a lot of journalists, not just journalists, a lot of people. And I'm like 90% sure that's why... Amber stopped her quest to get the truth out. So now I'm going to tell you about a journalist who chose not to take the carrot and ended up suicided. I'm talking about Gary Webb. In 1996, Gary exposed how the CIA hired drug traffickers to sell massive amounts of cocaine in the United States. 
in order to raise untraceable funds to finance terrorist organizations who were trying to overthrow the Nicaraguan government. These massive shipments of cocaine ultimately sparked the crack epidemic that decimated inner cities during the 90s. As a result, mainstream media vilified Gary Webb and destroyed his career, basically his life, his marriage, everything. But he refused to back down. He said, fuck your carrot, I wanna tell the truth. In 2004, he was found dead with two bullet wounds to his head, and they ruled his death a suicide. I mean, this guy literally lost everything, his life, his career, his marriage, and his life to get the truth out to people. So I don't know what separates Gary Webb from an Ambry Leone type of personality, but it seems like real journalists, the ones that truly want to get the true word out to the American people and the world beyond, they end up suicided. It's like you get two choices, just like I was saying earlier. Join us and you'll have everything you want. Go against us and we'll fucking destroy you. I know it's a fucked up choice, but some people believe in the truth more than a happy little fake ass fairy tale life. So if you want to learn more about Gary Webb, go online to any search engine other than Google and type in Gary Webb, Dark Alliance, and Mercury News. Now, Dark Alliance is a series that appeared in the San Jose Mercury News in 1996. And like I said earlier, it was detailing the crack cocaine trade in L.A. and how it was all tied up with the CIA and those dirty little fuckers trying to fund terrorists in South America. So other than the CIA, WikiLeaks kind of let the whole world know that the DNC had a bunch of journalists in their pocket. So check this out. I'm going to tell you about five emails WikiLeaks put out about the DNC colluding with different journalists. So we have Politico's Kenneth Vogel, who sent a copy of a story to the DNC before he sent it to his editors. He literally sent the full story. And the subject line was, per agreement, any thoughts appreciated. So after they received the story, which was kind of negative towards Hillary Clinton's fundraising, the DNC National Press Secretary Mark Postenbach wrote to communications director Louis Miranda, and he said, Bogle gave me his story ahead of time, before it goes to his editors. As long as I didn't share it, let me know if you see anything that's missing and I'll push back. Like, what the actual fuck? That's like breaking the number one rule of journalistic integrity. But I don't know, it was kind of in the media for 10 seconds and then disappeared. Another interesting email that came out from WikiLeaks was the Washington Post and the DNC hosting a joint fundraiser. The subject line of the email was, quote-unquote, WAPO party. Anna Rangapa, a senior DNC advisor, wrote to DNC National Fundraiser Director Jordan Kaplan on September 22, 2015. She wrote, they aren't going to give us a prize per ticket and do not want their party listed in any package we are selling to donors. If we let them know we have donors in town who will be at the debate, we can add them to the list for the party. So giving the Washington Post tendency to endorse Democrats, holding a fundraiser with the DNC wouldn't be surprising to anybody. But doesn't anybody think that's a little bit strange? The DNC and Washington Post are that cozy that they're holding joint fundraisers. I mean, how can they deliver impartial news stories? If they're basically partying with these people, if they're also intertwined, they hang out, they have each other's email addresses, they go and make money off people together. 
they're not going to bring fair, balanced, or truthful news to anyone. They're going to give you some biased bullshit slanted in the Democrats' favor. Moving down the list, we have DNC chairwoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz calling MSNBC over Morning Joe co-host Mika Brzezinski's criticisms of her. So Wasserman Schultz was sent a story highlighting Brzezinski's calls for Wasserman Schultz to step down. She responded with, quote unquote, this is the last straw. Please call Phil Griffin. This is outrageous. She needs to apologize. I mean, really, the DNC has this much power. They can get the head of NBC on the phone and get people to apologize. Uh, It just it's completely outrageous. And nobody really talked about it back then. What? It was in the news for what? Fucking a week. And then people forgot about it thinking, oh, it's not going to happen anymore because they got busted. Bullshit. It's still happening. And I think a lot of people remember this one, but the DNC leaked negative information on Bernie Sanders to the Wall Street Journal. Miranda sent a reporter, Lara Meckler, a letter from the Sanders campaign to the DNC whining about how, quote, almost all of his nominees to the party's platform and rules committees were rejected and wrote to her, you didn't get this from me. This dude's supposed to be on their side and they're leaking this information. So later on, later on, Miranda pressured Meckler to dismiss the Sanders campaign objections. The only reason the Sanders camp even sent that letter is that the DNC chairwoman, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, was courteous enough to reach out and give both camps representation. It's absolutely insane. Their own party working against their own people in the interests of Hillary Clinton. Now, don't think we forgot about CNN. The last one I have on the WikiLeaks list is when the DNC screened an op-ed written by CNN contributor Maria Cardona, blasting Sanders fans for their behavior at the Nevada Democratic State Party convention before it was published. So apparently, Maria Cardona sent a draft of the column to the DNC and wrote, quote, I want to make sure it's not too heavy-handed. Please let me know ASAP. Thanks. So Miranda approved, but told Cardona the, quote, Clinton campaign would probably ask you not to place it. It's like, what the fuck? If they are working this close together, imagine the stories that, A, don't get told, or just the complete bullshit that does get told. Like the whole Russia collusion shit. That was totally made up and fake and pushed by the mainstream media for years. It's amazing to me that Americans even watch the mainstream media at this point in the game. Now, I remember reading, I think it was an article years ago, and it was talking about someone who was from China, and they were saying how in China they don't even watch the news because they know it's propaganda, and how they're super surprised the Americans watch the news here because it's the same. It's all state-funded propaganda. Now, if you need more proof that the mainstream media is biased towards Democrats, check this out. This is from the Washington Times reports. A mere 7% of journalists identify as Republicans, and when they do give money to political campaigns, they usually donate to Democrats. Lending evidence to Republican presidential candidates claims that they are facing a hostile audience when they deal with the press. And self-proclaimed Democratic journalists outnumber Republicans four to one. And that's according to research by Lars Wilnat and David Weaver, professors of journalism at Indiana University. 
They found 28% of journalists call themselves Democrat, while just 7% call themselves Republicans. Though both numbers are down from the 70s, those identifying as independent have grown, which I don't buy for a fucking minute. I'm sure that's a bunch of bullshit. It just makes you wonder, when did American journalism go so far down the tubes? I mean, I'm thinking it was like a slow progression. It wasn't just like something quick or more people would have noticed. It's total propaganda by now. But it just leads us to current events and what has happened to the American public and the world, basically, over the last two years with the Kabobo pandemic. Everybody sat there and they saw the news pumping out their fear porn and lies to people for two years. It's got it so people still are wearing masks around in public, even though even, you know, Fauci himself has come out at this point and said, yeah, masks are basically useless. These people are so brainwashed by the media that they can't get that through their heads. They're still wearing masks. I literally turned down a job today because they make their employees wear masks. No shit. That was like the deciding factor. So fuck all that shit. People are brainwashed and the mainstream media is just a propaganda arm of the government. See, now I found this information yesterday and you would think with this kind of numbers, the mainstream media would be all over it. Check this out. Data compiled by the International Olympic Committee show 1,101 sudden deaths in athletes who are less than 35 years old between 1966 and 2004. Average annual rate of 29 across all sports. Now check this out. March 2021 through March 2022, at least 769 athletes have suffered cardiac arrest, collapse, and or have died on the field worldwide. They're fucking dropping like flies and the mainstream media is just acting like this isn't happening. Nobody wants to address the fucking elephant in the room of this mRNA poison. These are numbers compiled by government data, the International Olympic Body data. So this is not just some like, quote unquote, tinfoil hat psychos coming up with some numbers. These numbers are from official sources, you guys, but crickets from the mainstream media. Something else that's come up recently as of a few days ago that you think the mainstream media would want to tell people about, but they're totally silent, is the newest peer-reviewed study on COVID-19 vaccinations temporarily impairing semen concentration and total motility count among semen donors. Now, us crazy conspiracy theorists have been saying this for two years, but now we finally have a study backing up what common sense and fucking opening your eyes has been telling us. Now, in the study, 37 sperm donors from three sperm banks provided 220 samples, and they were included in that retrospective longitudinal multi-center cohort study. Now, this study was specifically looking at Pfizer's vaccination, and they included two doses, and the vaccination completion was scheduled for seven days after the second dose. The study included four phases pre-vaccination baseline control, which encompassed one to two initial samples per sperm donor. So T1, T2, and T3, short, intermediate, and long-term evaluations, respectively. Each included one to three semen samples per donor provided in three different intervals. The first was 15 to 45 days after the injection. The next was 75 to 120 days after injection. 
and the third was over 150 days after vaccination completion. The primary endpoints were semen parameters. Three statistical analyses were conducted. The first was generalized estimated equation model. The second was the first sample. And third was samples mean of each donor per period were compared to the sample given before the vaccinations. So what these scientists figured out is there is a 15.4% sperm concentration decrease on the second sample, leading to a total motile count of 22.1% reduction compared to the sample before they were vaccinated. Similarly, analysis of first semen sample only and samples mean per donor resulted in concentrations and reductions on T2. So the conclusion of the study is systemic immune response after the Pfizer jab is a reasonable cause for transient semen concentration and TMC decline. Long-term prognosis remains good, but I don't even know how they're saying that because this only followed them for six months. So they don't even really have a long-term prognosis. You know, they got to make sure they don't anger the American Medical Association gods and the big pharma gods or else all their funds will be cut off. But we were saying this days ago when scientists first discovered that these injections weren't staying at the injection site and they were mostly getting stored in ovaries and testes. We fucking called it. We got called conspiracy theorists. We got kicked off social media. All kinds of crazy shit happened to us. But it was like pretty obvious this shit was going on and mainstream media still doesn't want to talk about it, even though we have peer-reviewed studies proving it now. Now, since we're on the subject of medical studies and the healthcare establishment, a new Oxford study found that less than 6% of approved medical drugs are backed by high-quality evidence to support their benefits. Harms are significantly underreported across the board. So check this out, guys. These are some of the highlights of this study. In this large sample of 1,567 interventions studied within the Cochrane Reviews, effect of most interventions, 94%, were not supported by high-quality evidence. Potential harms of healthcare interventions were measured more rarely than benefits. Patients, doctors, and policymakers should consider the lack of high-quality evidence supporting the benefits and harms of many interventions in their decision-making. But they won't, because the healthcare system is bought off by Big Pharma, and at this point, so are the politicians. So you really, really need to do your own research when a doctor is trying to give you a drug or tell you to do A, B, or C. You really need to do your own research. And if it's a new drug, maybe ask your doctor if there's an older drug that's been on the market for, say, oh, I don't know, a couple decades and hasn't started killing people left and right. Because the doctors are seriously, they're fucking bought off by Big Pharma and they're under the control of the AMA, the American Medical Association, who is also bought off by Big Pharma. So seriously, when you go to the doctor, you need to take your healthcare into your own hands and do your own research and look into what they're saying and don't just take their word as the word of God. Now, according to this study, only 5.6% of the interventions had high quality evidence on first listed primary outcomes, positive, statistically significant results, and were rated by reviewed authors as beneficial. The harms were measured for 577, which is 36.8% of the interventions. 
127 of which has statistically significant evidence of harm. But I guess nobody in the mainstream media wants to talk about that either. Now, before I get out of here today, I'm done bitching about the shitty ass mainstream media. I'm going to tell you about a giant sunspot that's doubled in size in 24 hours and it's pointed at Earth. So what that means is it could send a solar flare our way. Now, a sunspot is a dark area on the sun's surface that are associated with intense bursts of radiation. They appear dark because they're cooler than other parts of the sun's surface. Sunspots are relatively cool because they form over areas where the sun's magnetic fields are particularly strong, so that they prevent some heat within the sun from reaching the surface. Now they're calling this sunspot AR3038, and there are pictures, you can go to NASA, and they got this up there, so you can search on any search engine about sunspot AR3080. So these tangled magnetic fields can sometimes suddenly reorganize themselves. When that happens, a sudden explosion of light and radiation is propelled away from the sun in the form of a solar flare. So footage from NASA's Solar Dynamics Observatory on Sunday showed how the sunspot had evolved over the past day or so, twisting and contorting. Spaceweather.com wrote, Yesterday, sunspot AR3038 was big. Today, it's enormous. The fast-growing sunspot has doubled in size in only 24 hours. Now, the magnetic field associated with the sunspot means it could potentially send an M-class solar flare at Earth, the second strongest type. So it's not known right now if that will actually happen, but supposedly people are keeping an eye on it. As of Monday morning, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration Space Weather Prediction Center hadn't issued any solar flare warnings but I definitely think it's something to keep an eye on. All right, well, that's about it for this week. I have to thank Tennessee, Ohio, and California for being my top three downloaders. Internationally, we have Canada, Australia, and the UK, and the Netherlands making an appearance. Thanks, guys. That's what's up. Shoot me a line at vanishedinthevalley at gmail.com. Let me know if you want any of the documents I talk about or if you have a story that I should check out. I'm kind of working on one story right now with one of our listeners that is juicy. It's a deep ass rabbit hole, so it'll be a minute before it comes to air. But if you guys have an idea, if you have a rabbit hole for me to dive into, please send it my way. Now, in the meantime, be aware and don't forget your pepper spray. Ciao, ciao.